Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to creative people, and today my guest is a multi-hyphenate. He's a director as well as an actor and writer, Ryan O'Connor. As a director, he currently has a really terrific musical showing in Los Angeles, sometimes a little night music. I saw it the other night, and it was just what I needed. Great voices good acting, lots to think about, really cool choices that he made, and so I was excited to talk to him about it. And you should check it out if you can You can get in to see it before it closes on March 13th. But before we get to the interview, I want to remind you that there are now two ways you can enjoy Dennis Anyone. You can listen, as you always do, on your favorite podcast app, or you can become a subscriber to DNR Studios. For $12.95 a month, you get my show, plus a whole bunch of other shows, and uh, you get to support uh, the podcasters you love, and you get my show... 48 hours ahead of the riffraff that are just listening on their normal way. Uh, that's worth a little something, right? And if you subscribe to DNR Studios and say that my show is the one you listen to the most, I get a little kickback. And that's how that works. Ka-ching. All right. Also, I have a voicemail now. We're stepping it up. So if you want to leave a voicemail, if you have a story that goes with one of the observation deck questions or just a comment, whatever you want, call us at 1-888-647-9653 and leave a message. I might play it on the show. Um, I'm also on Twitter, Hensley Dennis, Instagram, Dennis C. Hensley. There's a Facebook page for Dennis anyone uh, that you can find and also i'm still hosting my virtual game nights i would love to host you with a zoom extravaganza that you won't uh you won't believe how fun it is so learn more at you don't know my life.com all right that's enough that here with the interview it's ryan o'connor Joining me now via Zoom, it's the director of the L.A. production that's currently running, A Little Night Music, Ryan O'Connor. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Dennis. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. Uh, congratulations on A Little Night Music. I didn't know that I needed it as much as I needed it once I was there, because it's a classic Sondheim show, and and uh, I'm sure I've seen it before, a production of it. Um, but there was just something about being in a really intimate theater with these wonderful voices and this show and the melodies and your direction. Like, I was like, oh, yes, this is just what I needed. So congrats. Thank you. I'm so grateful you came. I can't believe I've only missed two performances. Um, and you were at one I wasn't at, so I missed you. I missed you the night you were there. Were but, you at the SAG Awards or something exciting like that? Oh, where was I? I don't, I don't remember why I wasn't there Sunday. I had some, I don't know, I was doing something. Right. But... But I, yeah, I, I am terrified of missing any performance because COVID has me so like on edge that you never know if it's going to be the last one. You right. just never know for sure that something terrible is not going to happen and it's not, and I'm like terrified I'll accidentally miss closing night or something. But <laughs> Yeah, it could be the last hurrah with the, with the yeah. cast. It's been a long journey, this particular production, right? It, you, you started conceiving of doing it before the pandemic, right? Before the pandemic, yeah. We were, we were on track to produce, um, d- to do the show. And we were, gonna, we, st- we, were, we were two weeks out of starting rehearsal when uh, the shutdown happened. So um, we had a fully cast. We had a design team. We had, we had a theater, the same theater we're in now, about half the cast we have now. Um, and uh, we, you know, we did what everyone did. We shut down, we postponed, we postponed again. We then admitted that the postponing was inevitable and indefinite. And then, and then truthfully, we, we didn't think there was going to be a way for it to come back. We, you know, it was all because my, my producer, uh, Zach Lutsky, was 
was determined to bring it back and he fought for it and got the rights and made it happen again, which is amazing because, it, you know, it, it takes a lot of determination to actually make something happen. Um, right. The- so during the whole pandemic, was it this light of like, okay, we're going to get to do this someday? Or was it just this thing of like, it's never going to happen? Like, how did you feel about it month to yeah. month? I keep joking that as much as I love Little Night Music, obviously, and I love Sondheim, I will say that if I had cho- if I knew I was choosing a project that I was going to spend two years, like, waiting for and developing, I don't know if a Little Night Music is the show I would have chosen. Right. I was very excited to jump in and try it, but it's a very challenging show. It's, a, it's just a big show. Um, so... You know, I probably would have, I probably would have chosen something a little simpler if I, if I had known how much um, work was going to go into just like the waiting of it and trying to juggle it and in, you know, insane conditions in addition to just producing theater in LA, which is impossible anyways. Um, (laughs) It's impossible. You know how it is. It's just, just, you know, it's, it's an uphill climb on, on the best day. Um, So, uh, so, but yeah, it was, and it just, it's sort of, I, I say sort of tongue in cheek, but I really do feel this way. It sort of feels like the show chose us and, um, we've had a bunch of opportunities to do really cool stuff with it and, and, um, try things that, uh, you know, I don't know if we would have been able to try if we hadn't had as much time to sort of like think them out and, and you know spitball about them and stuff so it's it's been very very cool and then when we finally opened it just felt like the most miraculous relief to actually have an opening night felt like that alone and the fact that we're actually proud of it i would have been happy to just have an opening night even if i didn't like the show it would have been a relief and then to to to, on top of it be so proud of what we've done is a real gift (laughs) um the the cast is different than we usually see with this production in some ways talk about your approach to casting yeah, so I I I knew that going in, um, I knew that I was already my my um, my I don't know my my what's well, a quote Charlotte my quills were up um, about about the idea of this being it's very much about gender and very much about class and it takes place in 1900 where you know men men made most of the decisions for all, all of all of humanity they still do but obviously it was it was less um less objected to uh then than it is now and so i always felt as much as i love the score and i love the show and i love the bergman film that it's based on i did always feel like it was a little misogynistic especially the ending so i was like how can i how can i get into this in a way that doesn't feel like a betrayal of my own values and I don't even know how it happened, but it just came to me that there's this quintet that exists in the show. They always have. Sondheim himself admits that they basically are just because he wanted to write in a certain style that didn't really fit the other characters. And he wanted to have this, this uh, lead singer style in the show because of the Swedish, you know, the, the Swedish, you know, motif and the three, four time. And, he he created this quintet that's never made any sense. It doesn't make sense in the original production. It hasn't ever made sense in any production. And I thought, well, what if I made that? There's a the central character of the young girl who's a thirteen right. years. I said, what if I made it a memory play, and I made her the older version of her one of the members of the quintet. And that just led to me making them, uh, slowly led to me just p- pulling things apart and looking at um, casting from a different perspective and just kind of like 
taking gender off the table without ever. But my only thing I said was I can, I can, I can do anything I want, but I can never change text, obviously, because it's illegal. Right. Um, as long as I don't change text, what can I do here? And it's amazing how much, when you start looking at gender, um, gender, how much gender is just, you know, presentation and presumed. And so once I took it off the table, I was like, oh, I can, I can do this. I can cast this way. And I had some incredible gender nonconforming, non-binary trans friends that, that, you know, as much as it's sort of become something that's, that's talked about with this production, which is, you know, it's, oh, there's a lot of, there's gender, it's gender nonconforming and trans and non-binary casting. And it's like, so truthfully, it's in LA, you have, you have five equity contracts and everyone else, and that even that's a cheap thing. And everyone else is working for next to nothing. And you have to go to the, you have to kind of pull on the most talented people that you have to put your show together for, for no money and basically do you a favor. It just turns out that a lot of the more talented people that I have and have access to and that I trust also happen to be trans non-binary actors. So that that's the pool I pull from and will always pull from. Um, I wasn't really trying to make some big statement. However, it all married together in a perfect way that the show is so much about gender and like the battle of the sexes is the, you know, the, the outdated term and that sort of stuff. And so by, by sort of flipping gender over at every possible turn, I got to just look at it from a different perspective, which yeah, is... Yeah, it adds layers and colors to it that are interesting. Um, yeah. When you approach casting that way, do you... Is there text you include in your casting notices? How do you tell the community, hey, I'm open in this way? Yeah, it, it's challenging. That's the thing I, I've been um, just talking a lot about is how we, how we communicate. It's not even so much communicating what we want to do casting wise it's making it's making marginalized communities understand that they are safe to enter the space because i you know i i was very committed to obviously gender inclusive casting but also uh, obviously as much diversity as possible was of the utmost importance to me it already was but obviously in the last two years we've all been illuminated as to the work we all need to do to be more conscious in diversity in casting and representation and especially in the theater it seems to be someplace that it's of dire need right now so by going into that i noticed that we can say all we want about we want to be we want to be diverse and we want to be inclusive the truth is there are a lot of marginalized people who aren't used to being considered for shows like a little night music. Right. So they, yep, they skipped the posting. So we did, we have had to, I've learned that like to walk the walk, you really do have to work. It does take extra work and it is hard. And I, you know, I've said like, I love this cast. This cast is exactly who it's supposed to be. And I'm so proud of them that it's whiter than I wanted it to be. It's still a little bit, a little white music, um, <laughs> a, a little white music. A, a little, little white music. Yeah. It depends on how you emphasize the word. Exactly. Um, but that said, it was it, you know it wasn't for lack of trying, and, it, and I've learned that it's not. It's it's going to be ongoing. This this thing that we that we all have to do to make sure that we're we're making sure people know that they're safe. Yeah. I'm sure there are lots of black and brown people who are just used to seeing. You know, Civic Light Opera is doing a production of a little light music, and they're like, "I'm not going to get cast in that. That's that's a white show." Yeah, and 
They don't know. They don't know how much we're trying to change that perception. They don't know that. They're used to just trying to get jobs. Yeah. No, they get it. They've been around. Um, What surprised you about the reaction to some of the choices you made around the casting? Because I've seen some different articles about it. Did did you expect it to to be written about? Or what what surprised you? Yeah, I was surprised. I was surprised. We got one terribly, this terribly transphobic review um, that... Honestly, what surprised me was that it was so blatant. I knew, I knew that we were going to be going up against people who just don't know any better. And right. I, I have a pretty high high tolerance for people who just don't know. I have a high tolerance for ignorance. This one person who's just has uh, has gone on to show that they're just they they just they don't want to change and they don't want to evolve and. You know what? I'm not. I'm not here to try to change people. I'm right. here to try to reach people who want to be changed. And I and I just was. I was blindsided by how blatant it was and how ignorant it was. And that really gave me. Um, uh, it gave me a great opportunity to yeah. be like, okay, then that just means there's more work to do. Sure. And I had a great conversation right when it happened with our, I know, our mutual friend John Imperato at uh, the LGBT Center. Right. And and I was like, I was like, this gives me, this gives my work purpose in a way that's different than just let's put on a musical. Yeah. It's also like how to put on a musical, which is all I want to do. I just want to, <laughs> I just want to be in Judy in the barn. That's all I ever want to do. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but now to, for it to have purpose, it, 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 it's, a, it's actually been a blessing, but it's a hard lesson. And, and, a, and people, people had to get hurt for that lesson to happen. And that's unfortunate. But yeah. I, and I, I want to be protective of my actors and make safe spaces for them. Yeah. And I, that got abused and that was hard. That was yeah, hard. I could see that. Um, not to dwell on this, but was it an official critic or just somebody posting on social media? What, like, was it somebody that's like part of an organization? Well, it's Los Angeles. So, you know, in the Los Angeles theater world, official critic is a real big term. <laughs> um, it is someone who has uh, has a reputation. Has a platform. Of, yeah. Has a platform. Yeah. They, were an approved, they were an approved guest right. that are came through our publicist. And they are someone I've I've been reviewed by this person before. I actually, to be honest, saw their name on the list and was like, well, that'll be a nice fluffy piece of yeah. that's someone Sort of likes everything and won't be a, won't be an issue. I was not expecting what you get. What, what came out? Um, I want to talk about the ending of the piece because you said that you had something about it didn't sit well with you in in this current day. And as I was watching it, I felt the same thing. And I thought that before I read what you had written in the in the director's notes, um, it's a classic. So it's not like we're it's not a big spoiler alert, but like. A woman who had sort of been rejected by a dude ends up just taking him after his other option becomes unavailable. It's she really she really settles for sloppy seconds, and it's sort of presented like it's a happy ending, but it isn't. Like there's some yeah. something bugged me about it, and I think it bugged you too after reading what you wrote. What what's why doesn't that satisfy us? Yeah, it's fascinating, right? Because it 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 is the the two the two women who are, who are involved in that last scene, the Desiree and Charlotte. They both and they both end up with men who spend the rest of the play sort of pursuing other the yeah. different choices, right? And both very very happy about that 
um, that decision. At the the original title could have been Sloppy Seconds. We'll settle. Exactly. We'll, se- we'll settle. We'll take what we can get. Yeah. I will say, I give a lot of credit to my two actresses in those roles because Sarah Walter, who plays Charlotte, and Catherine Watkins, who plays Desiree, they're also very, very good friends of mine. So we were able to have a lot of in-depth conversations about it. And they were the ones who really sold me on, no, as long as these circumstances happen, as long as, as, long as these men fulfill these certain things... This is a happy ending. These, it's actually the, the empowerment comes from these women knowing who these men are better than these men know themselves. And so, de- my, my, not to spoil too much, but Catherine, who plays my Desiree, she says, she kind of maintains that when, when it all goes the way it should and all the circumstances line up in the performance, that by the time they get to that last scene, she actually already knows all of this is going to happen. She actually already knows that 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 she doesn't know it's going to happen as quickly as it does, but she knows that this this younger woman is not going to satisfy him in the way that he wants to be satisfied, and that that even though she could perceive it as being chosen second. She actually knows that what he actually wants is her, which also leads into the devastation of Sin and the Clowns, of her being sort of like, oh my God, was I wrong? And then the relief of was I right? But I will tell you this. I heard you were at the Sunday night performance. I wasn't there that night, but it was a big deal that um, when Desiree and Frederick kiss at the end, sorry, spoiler alert, but I mean, you're not right. Exactly. Exactly. When they kiss at the end, they've gotten applause every single performance and they didn't at yours is what I heard Sunday night that the kiss did not get applause. Well, I I went around at intermission and said, you know what? There's something fucked up about this and I don't think we should clap, but that's interesting because I didn't hear the, it didn't happen. There wasn't. And it's happened to every performance. So I'm actually curious, since I wasn't there, I'm curious what was a little bit different that night. Do you think it played differently when it first opened on Broadway back in the day? Did, did it still feel crummy? I don't think it did. I don't think it did. In 73, I think what's interesting about when that show was written, though, and when it was produced, and when it was a hit, people don't, people forget that it was one of sometimes actual hits. Right. That, um, that, that was like, re- like, women's live right yeah so it's very interesting that that show resonated the way it did with that message but i i I still think that the audience that it spoke to i don't i don't think they were ready yet i don't think they were aware that that getting the man no matter what is still not you know that's not necessarily the win i think that i think it was still a time it definitely is different now there's a lot Carl Magnus has a lot of dialogue about Charlotte that is, oh, it's so terrible. The way he talks about her is so <laughs> terrible. And I don't think they were as aware then of how terrible it is. Right. Like he says, like, he says that she doesn't matter. She doesn't, it's very dismissive in a way that I think even with that being the reality of the show now, I think it would be written. It would be written differently. Yeah, interesting. So you dedicate in the program to mom and Sondheim. So what what did your mom give you that that made you uh, uh, going down this path? Or, or like mom, what what do you get? What did you get from her? Yeah, my mom. My my mom's the only reason that I was that I found the theater and how I how I was able to be a part of the theater. My mom raised my mom. I was. I was obviously a dramatic kid and I, that was, that was clear, but my mom 
when I was going through a really, really hard time as a kid, I was bullied in like fifth and sixth grade, really bad. And um, my mom, and I didn't have any friends. And my mom heard about this youth theater and she was like, maybe, maybe you could fit in here. And she found this after school program that I went to and it's, it saved my life. And then, and then in seventh grade, my bullying, the bullying got so bad. Um, I had such a bad, um, experience, uh, that my mom actually pulled me out of school. Wow. Homeschooled me, but my mom did not feel capable. My mom's very cool and very like, she's very smart, but she's not like sit down and teach your kid, uh, in the kitchen. Right. Mom. It's never going to be her, but she um, she got these the, from that youth theater that I was at. The musical director and pianist from that musical that um, youth theater and his wife, who was a voice teacher, she hired them to be basically be my school during wow. the day. They were supposed to teach me school things, but instead, one of them would do my homework while the other one taught me either about Sondheim or other. <laughs> I literally for almost two years just had like musical theater school um, to the point where it's actually amazing that I was able to ever even pass a class after that because I really should have, they were, I mean, it was exactly what I needed. They saved my life, but it was really, it was my mom and Sondheim and these, and these two people who just, who gave me all of this information that I, you know, I wouldn't have, I guess maybe I could have gotten a theater history in school somewhere later, but I got it, I got it very early. So it was, it was in my DNA. I knew the score of a little late music long before I knew what the show was about. You know what I mean? Like I knew the score before I knew what I was singing to myself. <laughs> I love it. When, when Sané passed away, I was reminiscing with friends about things that we'd seen or doing it in school and all of that. And when you're a young theater kid, Appreciating Sondheim makes you feel smart. It makes you feel like, oh, I get this, right? I'm sophisticated. Did you have that experience? Oh, absolutely. It was always, it was always my like elitist card was like, was like, yeah, but you're, you're, how's your Sondheim knowledge? I could always, I could always, you know, be a, be a mean girl and to other theater people by being like, Oh yeah. Well, what, you know, what's, what's Charlotte's second number in act two of night music? Like yeah. what's the, you know what I mean? Like yeah. what's the, where, where can I, where can I, uh, where can I out Sondheim you was yes. always, of course. Yeah. Did you ever meet him in person? Did you have any interaction? No, I was in the same room as him once, um, at, uh, at a, a performance of, um, Oh my God, what's the name of that play? It was Lauren Bacall and Rosemary Harris. And it's a, it's a Noel Coward play and they live in a retirement home. What is the name of that play? It was terrible. It was terrible. And he sat across the aisle from me. And I, I, I remember, I had heard he was approachable and all that, you know, and I had the thought like, I'm going to go say hi. And I just, I thought, you know what? if it didn't go well, it would ruin so much. It right, it's a so risk, much. right? It's a risk in yeah, that moment. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, they like, don't miss me your heroes. And I've heard he most of the time was very lovely. And obviously now, now everyone's publishing their letters that they got from him and all this stuff. So it, it probably would have been fine, but I didn't want to take the risk. Didn't want to take the risk, especially if he was in the middle of a not great show, maybe not having right. a good time. None of us were happy. None of us were happy. <laughs> Nobody was having a good time that night. No, no, <laughs> that's that no. is wild. Um, you, as an actor, you were in Big Little Lies. You were, yeah. were one of you were uh, um, in the Reese Witherspoon school theater stuff, right? 
Yeah, so when she she weirdly is like the managing director of a community theater. <laughs> yeah, it can happen. Doing, she needs a hobby. And they're doing Avenue Q while she's having an affair with the director. And they're right. doing a production of Avenue Q. So I played Brian in the production of Avenue Q within the show. So I was was very meta. Very meta. Wait, was it fun? Oh my god, it was so fun. We were we were the rain cover for all of those fine first season, those final scenes in um Big Little Lies, the the climax. Yeah. Uh, watch. I won't spoil that. Um, but you know, there's a there's a big death and it right. all happens outdoors. We were the rain cover, so we were there for the entire time that they shot that just in case there was rain, we would, they would go, okay, we'll go to the Avenue Q. And we, we had, we did like 45 minutes of Avenue Q that we like knew and did. And then we had rehearsal scenes. Um, and we were, we were, we were there for the whole thing. And I was there when they shot that big finale. And I was, my most infamous story is that I was there when I was, I saw Nicole Kidman came to craft services one night at like, um, at, well, it was 1am. I know that because of something she said, uh, it was 1am and she had never been down to craft services. I got the distinct impression that she was like coming to visit the peasants. Right. Um, and what, what like poor people did on movie sets. Right. She was very much just movie star energy, not in a bad way, but just like being around a movie star. And her assistant said, do you want some coffee? And she said, yes, I'd like to have some coffee. And they said, well, there's a Keurig machine. And Nicole Kidman said, Keurig, Keurig. I watched Nicole Kidman learn the word Keurig. <laughs> <laughs> she had to chew Keurig. it up. She had to process it. She has a process, Ryan. Don't question her process. <laughs> exactly. And then she cut off the end of a donut. Yeah. And she held the donut and she turned around and she said, because sometimes you need a 1 a.m. desire and popped the tiniest bite of a donut into her mouth. And I'm positive it was the first carb she'd had in like a decade. That's also true. She's right yeah. about everything. Exactly. I, I did not, not one moment did yes. I argue with anything Nicole Kidman was doing. She was, do, she was living correctly. She was living correctly. I love it. Um, you, so you worked with that director that everyone liked that passed away. Jean, is it Jean-Marc Valley? He was wonderful. I, I, watching him, I mean, you know, I, I wasn't some major part of the show, but being able to watch him work... He did all of, it was almost all handheld. And he, there's so much of that show, the magic of why that show was, there's, don't get me wrong, it was script, it was very scripted, but he lived in it so fully that, that we would do, even with the Avenue Q stuff, we would do tapes where he would be like, okay, I just want to see what the actors are living like off stage. I can only imagine the amount of footage that they have from that whole thing that never got used because he just would always be pulled to something interesting he just would you could just tell he just was very curious and interested in what was going on around him and he was so charming and funny and kind and always friendly and so handsome i mean he was a very very hot hot man and uh and he was just he was just delight and you could tell he there was a lot of personalities on that on that show sure it was a, one of the happiest sets I've ever been on, which he, is not normally what happens when there's that many personalities. And it was it was because of him. He made everyone feel safe and seen, and you could tell he was just he was just really loved. It made me really sad that he died so early. Though. I know. I'm sorry. I was so sorry about that. I never heard of this concept of a rain cover. So what that means is it's something 
they can shoot, a production can shoot if their big outdoor scene gets rained out. So you're just kind of on call. Yeah, so they don't lose their shoot day. So we yeah. got we got paid a lot more than we should have, is what I'll tell you about. And, and what are you doing when you're waiting around to see if whether it rains or not? Just hanging around? Uh, yeah, you just kind of hang out. It was a great group of people. I love it. I'd never heard of that before. And uh, speaking of legends, you had an Oprah adventure. I did. Uh, you were part of a, a competition that they did to have somebody get their own talk show on OWN, right? When was this? I remember this, but I... It was 2009. 2009. 2009. Oprah... Um, announced her network on the last season of the Oprah Winfrey show. She announced that she was going to do a search for, um, like basically like she was searching for like the new Dr. Phil or the new right. Dr. New Susie Orman. Like yeah. she was she had this reputation for making stars. Um, so it was called your own show. Oprah search for the next TV star. Right. It was her, Mark Burnett, sure. um, who reason it's, it's his fault. We have Trump. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and they did this reality show that was the first bit. It was the biggest show that they did on, on their budget. The first season of own. Um, it also was the biggest flop. <laughs> it was a huge, it was a huge flop. So um, people were not watching the show on own. They weren't. Wow. Not- did not take, um, and it was, but it was, I got to be on Oprah on yeah. the final season, and I did the show. I got fourth place. It was a great experience. Um, it was a heartbreak. It was a heartbreak. It was a really weird, it was very weird because it was such a big deal and it was such a secret. And I went from someone who was just an Oprah fan to being in Oprah's inner circle for yes. a lot in her personal circle, but in the world of home. Right. And, you know, we all thought, once this goes public, we're all going to be huge stars. I mean, it really it was not unbelievable. You know, right. whatever turns to gold. I'm Nate so Burkus. I'm the next Nate Burkus. We all just were like, we're about to get shot out of this huge cannon, and it just didn't. It just didn't take. It just didn't take. It just never picked up a lot of viewers. It, it just didn't. Most people don't even remember that it happened, um, and that was huge it does a number on you in the aftermath right what what did you learn from that whole odyssey Oof, i learned a lot i was not in a, i actually wasn't in a good place at that time of my life so that was also a, a huge lesson but it, it just it, for me it just was another example of like the the, the thing outside the, of you that you think is gonna fix you and solve all your problems it's not it's not gonna. It's not gonna be the thing. Even if it had been a huge yeah. thing, who knows what would have happened? I right. was in a bad marriage. I was in a. Uh, I was not sober yet. I was having. I was, like it probably saved my life, but it wasn't a huge hit in a lot of ways. You could have I've become ever... a show business monster. Exactly. Oh, I, abs- I probably would. <laughs> I probably actually like. I genuinely like. I'm like. I think I was. I think other people were spared my fame. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What's your favorite memory of it involving Oprah or anybody or what's something that was, was like, you know what? That was really cool. It was all the moments with her, to be honest. It was yeah. all the moments with her, which I know is not the most. Um, no, that's what know. I want to hear. I need I to hear that boring, Oprah's. I have a boring answer, but it's sort of like we were saying earlier, like don't meet your heroes. 
She was, she was wonderful every single time. I got to spend like six different mo- large moments with her and on camera, off camera was 100% class act was everything you want Oprah to be. It was, it was really incredible and affirming and wonderful. It was really cool. And being on Oprah, I got to stay at the All Sweet Omni Hotel. Of course you did. Studios. I was on. I, we shot our episode. Actually, the episode we were on got sh- shot the same day that Barbara Streisand did her last episode. So we were we were going out of the building. The Barbara people were coming. It was a very gay day in Oprah. It was a very, very gay. Day. And the Oprah lighting. You cannot beat the Oprah lighting. And I was at my head. I was almost four hundred pounds, and I still. It's still one of the best I've ever looked in my life. Just that that moment. I that time in my life. I looked terrible. That 20 minutes that I was on the Oprah stage probably looked better than I've ever looked. <laughs> yeah. Well, good for you for uh, for turning your life around, getting sober or getting, you know, losing weight and all of that stuff. No. What What was it like to go through that transition and come out the other side? And, and... It was a lot. It wasn't, um, you know... I'd love to. I'd love to be able to take credit and be like, and I knew my life was a disaster, and I had to do something about it, and I made a big change. Right. No, that what happened. What happened was it became inevitable that I had to do small things to change my life, and they added up to a certain amount of things that you know. For today, I, I've been able to maintain. Um, you know, I got sober. Uh, a little over six years ago, and I did not. I did not get sober thinking I was going to stay sober for for six months, much less six years. I just thought, well, right now I have to do this and then I can figure out how to drink like a normal person or something. That never happened. Right. And, um, and you know, life, life just sort of rolled out and I did what was right. And, and trust me, I still have plenty of things that need, need a lot of fixing. Right. <laughs> but, uh, I think that's interesting. So when you did the Oprah reality show, you were heavier. Did you, and Oprah has that part of her story. Well, that was what, was that, that a was, big bonding thing with you guys? Was I said on I said on the show one of the things I'm most proud of because I was a diehard Oprah fan. Like, right. I was a I was a I was a and I said to her I said I Oprah I've I've on the show I said I've 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 gained and lost hundreds of pounds with you. And I said, if I had my own wagon of fat, I would wheel it out right now. And I said it on the, I referenced what right. she calls least favorite moments on the show, right. which she was embarrassed the years later that she put on the weight after she lost all that weight and she pulled out the wagon of fat, but she laughed at that. And it was, um, it was definitely as much as it was a hard time in my life for my weight and my personal life. I, I did feel safe. I did feel safe with, I did feel safe in my body with Oprah and with, and that's, and that's not just Oprah. That's the, all the people that come with her, you know, she's a, the bubble of people around her and it did feel safe. It felt safe to be fat. It felt safe to be queer. It felt safe to be loud. It felt, it definitely felt safe. And that's, that's a special thing. I think for anyone in show business, but especially someone with that platform, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. And I'm happy to hear that. I find that heartening. It used to be more fun to hear people are awful and now it's more fun to hear that they're not. I don't know. Maybe I've changed or the world is so awful that we need. That's for sure. It's more rare. Yeah. Um, here's a few questions you picked from the observation deck. Have you ever been okay. starstruck? Okay. So yeah. So the so the time in addition to obviously I met Oprah and the Sonic, those were obviously like starstruck. But the most like physically starstruck I've ever been was at Saks Fifth Avenue 
in Beverly Hills when I ran into Joan Collins in the uh, scarf section. Of course you did. That's amazing. I shook, Dennis. I was shaking. I was so starstruck. I was shaking, and I made myself go say hi to her. That one I did. And I went, my favorite thing is that I went to shake her hand, and she held up her hands in front of me, and she said, fresh manicure, sorry. And she wouldn't touch it. And I don't think it was a fresh manicure. I think she just, like, doesn't touch people. That's her That's her rule, though. It's a nice rule. Was she nice? I... I interviewed Jackie Collins a number of times, and nobody was nicer. Sent yeah. thank you notes, all of it. I mean, she was nice. She was Joan Collins, though. Right. Like, I, don't, I don't know that I needed. I don't know that I wanted her to be nice. No, so she she gave you what she wanted. It was, it was a little moment. cold, a little reserved, yeah, and very harsh. And it was, you know, it was very satisfying. It was perfect. It was exactly the way you wanted it to be. Okay, um, any memorable limousine stories? That was another card you picked. Yes. So, okay. I do have a good limousine story. It's not, it's technically an SUV, but it's limo vibes. Okay. Uh, I like limo vibes. For a period of my time, which if, since you now know that I am now sober, you can assume that this was a time when I was not a sober person. Sure. I had a period in my life where I was very close friends with Lindsay Lohan. Right on. But very close friends in like the sense of like, I never really knew her. We just hung out like after 9 p.m. at night and did a lot of Things. We did a lot of things. You did a lot um, of things. And I was with her. I was one of her guests the night she hosted the Video Music Awards. Right on. Or not the Video Music Awards. The MTV Movie Awards. Okay. And um, we had, she had this big SUV um, that took us there and then afterwards took us to this after party. But what, but when that, when we all got in the SUV limo afterward, at the end of the night, there were a bunch of people. Right. So I volunteered. I was like, I'll sit in the back, you know, like in the back, in the cargo area. I'll sit in the back. But there was a bunch of stuff back there, so my legs were all squished up. I actually wasn't wasted, which is actually shocking for that time, but I wasn't. I was actually stone cold sober, but I, um, my legs fell asleep. And when we pulled up outside, (laughs) pulled up outside, they opened the trunk for me to get out, and I went to step out, and my legs were asleep, so I fell to the ground. Oh my gosh. TMZ ran all this footage of like Lindsay's friends stumbling out of their cars, wasting. <laughs> um, and it was actually just my legs falling asleep. But I was part of the the Lindsay the Lindsay mess train for a minute there, which was actually pretty iconic. Right, you were part of history in the yeah. mid two thousands. when people were flashing their junk, and it was a it was a time. I saw all of those, uh, all of those flashes in person. I was there for wow. many. Do, are you still, are you still in touch with her? I, is she spinning uh, in Ibiza? What's she up to? No, I, tried to stop, I tried to stop her, um, from driving once when she shouldn't have been driving. And she, uh, sideswiped me with her car <laughs> gently. Um, and that's the last time <laughs> that was, oh, the, the many, uh, like at least a decade ago. Wow. All right. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm here for a comeback. If she feels like making it, I'm here for it. I, love, I honestly, like, yeah, she was chaotic. It was a dark time for all of us involved, but I, I loved her very much. And I stand by huge talent, huge talent, a huge talent. I love it. Um, so tell people how they can see a little night music. 
A Little Night Music is playing uh, through March 13th at Greenway Court Theater in Los Angeles. It's on Fairfax and Melrose. Um, and you can get tickets at uh, greenwayartsalliance.org is the best place to get tickets. Greenwayartsalliance.org. Um, or you can follow me on Instagram and you'll, you'll get linked to it very quickly many times in the next two weeks. You can follow me, Ryan O'Connor, 1981. There you go. I love it. I, I really, really loved it. And it was just the voices and the melodies it was just so nice to be there in that space with those people and i thought you did some really interesting things is the croquet always part of the script or was that your thing you mentioned croquet but i added i added the it's so interesting i'm like i've never seen actors playing croquet on stage it just added you got to have fun with the rhythm of it i was like oh that's clever it's a little heathers a little heathers moment it is very adverse. It is very adverse. So clever, though. So smart, though. Rather than just having people sit there and drink tea or whatever they're going to do, right? I'm going to tell the actors you said that because they 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 were not thrilled that I was making them play croquet. No, it's the best. And, uh, and I kept saying, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's a really good moment. So um, I'm glad. I'm going to tell them. You're, you're oh, no. It, it, I was like, yes, this is what we need because we've all seen people sit in chairs and talk. And you got to have yeah. fun with the rhythms and their singing. And you know who I loved in it? And I didn't know the show well enough to know that there's one character who sings the Miller's son at the end. Uh, who had yeah. kind of had a supporting role, but it's kind of like she shows up and she's like, look out, bitches. <laughs> she comes out of nowhere. And actually that actress, Alexa Rosengoss, who's incredible, she actually was our understudy. The, the person we had in that role booked another gig for more money, so they had to take it. We released them with love and say, go go get yours. And Alexa was in the room, and I, I tricked her into singing Miller's Son as like, I was like, well, let's just on the covers and see how they're doing. I just wanted to make sure she had it. And I was like, how would you feel about playing this part? And I'm, it was a fantastic decision. She's she's a star. She's she a- was like, when Christina Aguilera went brunette, remember? And it was just like, yeah. oh my God, she has that sort of energy. And I was yes. like... She's actually, and she's wonderful in the show, obviously, but she's actually almost even more interesting in person. She's British, but she was raised uh, between London and Mexico City and her yeah. family. And She's got this cool, like, like hip bohemian vibe to her. She's she's very cool. Everyone's gonna see lots of her. Yeah, and I'll I'll say, oh, yeah, I got her. I got her to sing something once. Right, I love it. Well, your whole cast was terrific, but that was like an out of nowhere. Where did that come from? Kind of moment, which was really cool. Um, final question: Why do you love musicals? Oh, oh, that's such a good question, and like honestly, a harder question than I would have expected. I love musicals because they saved my life, but they, they obviously saved my life for a reason other than um, the, the, because I love them. So what, what, are, what are they? I, you know, I guess this is just a very queer answer, but it's, they're the only genre of entertainment that feels like it lives up to the drama I need from life on a regular basis. So... Wow. Just everything has to be heightened, and so um, I, I just I I can't rem- I can't remember me without musicals. I don't re- I don't remember I don't remember a time where they weren't like the most important thing in the world to me. They're right. they're a religion to me in a lot of ways. They're church, and um, so so I guess I love them because they they just give me they give me everything that I um, need from the world, and. Um, they're 
they're my best friends. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Well, it comes across in the work that, that I've seen you do in the show that I, that I got to see. So congrats on that. People should go see it. It's in LA uh, through the 13th. Thank you for doing the podcast, Ryan. It was my pleasure talking to you. Hey, it's so good to see your face. All right. Take care. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks again to Ryan O'Connor. If you're in LA, go see his show, A Little Night Music. It's terrific. All right. So this happened. Marry Me opened. Marry Me is a Jennifer Lopez romantic comedy. It has been on my radar for some time. And maybe it's on my dream board. Maybe it is. Anyway, I love seeing these kinds of movies with Jennifer Lopez. I'm in. I'm in when they're good. I'm in when they're less good. It's just a thing. Um, And my friend Danny and I... I think we saw the last one that she did. I think it was called Second Chance or something. Um, It was not one of the top-notch Jennifer Lopez rom-coms. And we came up with this running gag where we're um, studio suits and somebody on a team that would be making such a movie would say, hey, what if she did like a tango in the middle of a cocktail party, even though her character's like a lawyer or something? And the, we ha- we imagine the executives going, we're listening. So we're listening became a catchphrase and an inside joke. Just for any bad idea, especially having to do with a J-Lo rom-com, we're listening. What if she also was a Zumba teacher in addition to being uh, a politician? We're listening. Anyway, um, but with this movie, there was not a lot of we're listening bad ideas. Like it was, I was, I thought it was kind of grounded. I was kind of into it. Owen Wilson is there. I also love that this movie could have been made any time in the last twenty five years. What decade is it? I'm not sure. Although there is a lot of social media stuff, so that's a giveaway. But in terms of the cast and the vibe, you don't know when it is. It could be 2003. Bush could still be in the White House. Who knows? Um, but I love Jennifer Lopez. I love her. I like to look at her. She's like looking at the sun. I remember when she was a judge on American Idol, I would just stare at her like she was a, a fireplace or an aquarium or a shiny object. Just dazzling. And I also like her work ethic. Like, you know she is going to work harder than anyone. And they're like, we think you could do a number at the beginning. Maybe you do a few moves. Oh, no. She's going to do a full-on crazy church-themed uh, production number with a crazy outfit and lifts and like she's going to go all the way like i remember a couple of years ago she sang on new year's eve and uh rock and eve with ryan seacrest or whatever it was she was performing and a big song, part of the song comes up and she does this knee slide across the stage and i'm like j-lo calm down you don't need to do the knee slide but j-lo needs for herself to do the knee slide meanwhile mariah's being just plopped down on the stage and everything happens around her. She's not going to do a knee slide. She, I don't, she, like, but I love JLo's like scrappiness and her like, I'm going to, I've got to prove that she's always got something to prove. And you want to tell her you don't have to prove it so hard, but she does. Cause she didn't get that Oscar nomination for hustlers that she, she, she so clearly deserved. I still am chapped about that. If you told me that I could make a deal where, I still had to wear a mask for six months in public, regardless of infection rates, but J-Lo could get her Oscar nomination for Hustlers. 
I would probably make that trade. I was, I had, I was invested in that because she was so good. Like she's a star, but she's also really good, and she brings a lot to things. And I just, I can't get enough of it. So "Marry Me" did everything I wanted it to do, and then some. I've been listening to the soundtrack, and here's the other thing: her songs are always like close, but they're never quite like there. Like she's had some hits, but sometimes they just are like. Mm. You know, whereas like I remember Rihanna, she had hit after hit after hit after hit after hit. And then like, I don't know, you know, so it's all part of the J-Lo package, though. The song that's mm, I, I like it, you know, but it's not. Yeah. So it's all there. Maluma is so sexy. Oh, my gosh. And Owen Wilson. Sometimes I think, is that Judith Light? But you know what? They were charming together. They were cute. I liked it. I was into it. There was a mathlete competition and, you know, and, and also it was a window into what it's like to be J-Lo. And, I, and she was in certain scenes, I think, giving us a, a taste of like what it's like to be under that kind of scrutiny and also um, having to manage all of those people and, you know, the, the work that it takes um, there's one, the one part where Danny and I were like, we're listening, like where we thought it wasn't a great idea was like Jennifer's character. I think her name is Kat Valdez. I should know this. It is a religion for me now, but she, they're like, well, when Wilson thinks that she needs to, uh, be more like a normal person and do more things for herself. Like, so not everything's taken care of. Uh, and in a return, he's going to try and she's like, well, you need to do something too. And she's like, I know, you'll get on social media. And so nobody in the audience is like, oh, that's what that nice math teacher needs, more Twitter in his life. That's going to really, that's like saying, here, try meth. So that 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 little side plot, I thought, was um, not my favorite. But also, it didn't really go anywhere, so it was fine. We got back to the good stuff. And the good stuff was them falling in love and realizing they're meant to be together and running to meet each other and you know and she she does a few songs she works really hard she keeps bringing it i also love this about j-lo i should write a thesis a college thesis about it she will do things in her career that might seem um like odd choices like for example i'm just gonna do a cbs cop show at the height of my j-lo-ness okay sure be on shades of blue I guess. I mean, it's not Big Little Lies, but okay. Like, it's not cool. I'm just going to judge a dance competition show. Like, she does things that she wants to do, even though, like, I, I don't know, more, I don't know, people like Gwyneth would be like, I don't do television or whatever it is. I don't know. Um, I only will work for HBO. No, I'm going to play a cop on CBS. What the hell? You know? I got it. I got, you know what? She's still Jenny from the block, as far as I'm concerned. And... I hope she just keeps doing her thing. And and the thing is, I know she will because she needs it. Like, she loves to perform. That's her thing. Like, she's never like, I'm going to just cash my chicks, check, uh, my cash into my chips and, you know, raise my kids and be, be on an island somewhere. She's not going to, she's not going to pull a, yeah, who's disappeared from our lives? I'm trying to think. Oh, she's not going to pull a Bridget Fonda and just go away. She's in it. She's in it to win it. She's going to do the Super Bowl. She's going to dazzle us. And she's going to, you know, here's the thing. We take her for granted. Um, and if she wasn't out there trying hard and doing these slides, we would miss it. So, J-Lo, if you're listening, thank you for the J-Lo-ness. I, I love it. All right. That's enough for this week. You didn't know you were getting that, did you? All right. We'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye. Bye.
Lopez, I'm in. I'm in when they're good. I'm in when they're less good. It's just a thing. Um, and my friend Danny and I, I think we saw the last one that she did. I think it was called Second Chance or something. Um, it was not one of the top-notch Jennifer Lopez rom-coms. And we came up with this running gag where we're um, studio suits and somebody on a team that would be making such a movie would say, hey, what if she did like a tango in the middle of a cocktail party, even though her character's like a lawyer or something? And the, we ha- we imagine the executives going, we're listening. So we're listening became a catchphrase and an inside joke just for any bad idea, especially having to do with a J-Lo rom-com. We're listening. What if she also was a Zumba teacher in addition to being uh, a politician? We're listening. Anyway, um, but with this movie, there was not a lot of we're listening bad ideas. Like it was, I was, I thought it was kind of grounded. I was kind of into it. Owen Wilson is there. I also love that this movie could have been made any time in the last 25 years. What decade is it? I'm not sure. Although there is a lot of social media stuff, so that's a giveaway. But in terms of the cast and the vibe, you don't know when it is. It could be 2003. Bush could still be in the White House. Who knows? Um, But I love Jennifer Lopez. I love her. I like to look at her. She's like looking at the sun. I remember when she was a judge on American Idol, I would just stare at her like she was a a fireplace or an aquarium or a shiny object, just dazzling. And I also like her work ethic. Like, you know, she is going to work harder than anyone. And they're like, we think you could do a number at the beginning. Maybe you do a few moves. Oh no, she's going to do a full on crazy church themed uh, production number with a crazy outfit and lifts. And like, she's going to go all the way. Like I remember a couple of years ago, She sang on New Year's Eve and uh, Rockin' Eve with Ryan Seacrest or whatever it was. She was performing and a big part of the song comes up and she does this knee slide across the stage. And I'm like, J-Lo, calm down. You don't need to do the knee slide. But J-Lo needs for herself to do the knee slide. Meanwhile, Mariah's being just plopped down on the stage and everything happens around her. She's not going to do a knee slide. She, I don't, (laughs) like, but I love J-Lo's like, scrappiness and her like i'm gonna i've gonna prove that she's always got something to prove and you want to tell her you don't have to prove it so hard but she does because she didn't get that oscar nomination for hustlers that she, she she so clearly deserved i still am chapped about that if you told me that i could make a deal where i still had to wear a mask for six months in public regardless of infection rates but j-lo could get her oscar nomination for hustlers I would probably make that trade. It was, I, had, I was invested in that because she was so good. Like, she's a star, but she's also really good. And she brings a lot to things. And I just, I can't get enough of it. So Marry Me did everything I wanted it to do. And then some, I've been listening to the soundtrack. And here's the other thing. Her songs are always, like, close, but they're never quite, like, there. Like, she's had some hits, but sometimes they just are like, mm. You know, whereas like I remember Rihanna, she had hit after hit after hit after hit after hit. And then like, I don't know, you know, so it's all part of the J-Lo package, though. The song that's mm, I, I like it, you know, but it's not. Yeah. So it's all there. Maluma is so sexy. Oh, my gosh. And Owen Wilson. Sometimes I think, is that Judith Light? But you know what? They were charming together. They were cute. 
I liked it. I was into it. There was a mathlete competition and, you know, and, and also it was a window into what it's like to be J-Lo. And, and she was in certain scenes, I think, giving us a, a taste of like what it's like to be under that kind of scrutiny and also um, having to manage all of those people and, you know, the, the work that it takes um, there's one, the one part where Danny and I were like, we're listening, like where we thought it wasn't a great idea was like Jennifer's character. I think her name is Kat Valdez. I should know this. It is a religion for me now, but she, they're like, well, when Wilson thinks that she needs to, uh, be more like a normal person and do more things for herself. Like, so not everything's taken care of. Uh, and in a return, he's going to try and she's like, well, you need to do something too. And she's like, I know, you'll get on social media. And so nobody in the audience is like, oh, that's what that nice math teacher needs, more Twitter in his life. That's going to really, that's like saying, here, try meth. So that 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 little side plot, I thought, was um, not my favorite. But also, it didn't really go anywhere, so it was fine. We got back to the good stuff. And the good stuff was them falling in love and realizing they're meant to be together and running to meet each other and, you know, and she, she does a few songs. She works really hard. She keeps bringing it. I also love this about J-Lo. I should write a thesis, a college thesis about it. She will do things in her career that might seem um, like odd choices. Like, for example, I'm just going to do a CBS cop show at the height of my J-Lo-ness. Okay, sure. Be on Shades of Blue. I guess. I mean, it's not Big Little Lies, but okay. Like, it's not cool. I'm just going to judge a dance competition show. Like, she does things that she wants to do, even though, like, I, I don't know, more, I don't know, people like Gwyneth would be like, I don't do television or whatever it is. I don't know. Um, I only will work for HBO. No, I'm going to play a cop on CBS. What the hell? You know, I got it. I got, you know what? She's still Jenny from the block, as far as I'm concerned. And I hope she just keeps doing her thing. And and the thing is, I know she will because she needs it. Like, she loves to perform. That's her thing. Like, she's never like, I'm going to just cash my chicks, check, uh, my, cash in my chips and, you know, raise my kids and be, be on an island somewhere. She's not going to, she's not going to pull a, yeah, who's disappeared from our lives? I'm trying to think. Oh, she's not going to pull a Bridget Fonda and just go away. She's in it. She's in it to win it. She's going to do the Super Bowl. She's going to dazzle us and she's going to, you know, here's the thing. We take her for granted. Um, and if she wasn't out there trying hard and doing knee slides, we would miss it. So J-Lo, if you're listening, thank you for the J-Lo-ness. I, I love it. All right. That's enough for this week. You didn't know you were getting that, did you? All right. We'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye.